showed up here this morning thinking I was going to teach a thing or two, and I um, kind of got taken to school by God there during worship. I don't know, uh, what's her name? What's your daughter's name? Is that who came up? So I don't know if, how old is Kalani? Okay. Um, so during worship, uh, Kalani came up and, and just prayed at the altar by herself um, at the, on the stage. I Jesus said time and time again like let the little children come to me you have to have the faith of a child to enter the kingdom of heaven you know the verses like that's that's what that is um, the, the courage to just worship with complete and total disregard for everything else around you and so I um, yeah I wept all during worship so tell her thank you for that Appreciate that. Uh, it's pretty awesome. So anyway, I, that's moving on. Um, one more quick thing about the Asbury revival that if you haven't seen yet, Google it. It's, in, it's incredible. And, and it, it affirms what I have been saying for years. The best things always come out of Kentucky. So, like if that's not proof, I don't know. I don't know what is, so. Um, we as a team are, are really intentional about how we, how we plan what we are going to teach. And we do that for lots of different reasons. One is we don't want the news cycle to dictate um, where we go in, in God's word. And so um, we, we spend hours and days, weeks praying uh, months and months in advance for what we believe God is calling us to teach and to do. And, and it's, it's, Amazing! Inevitably, God shows up in the sermons, the services. They're, they're always relevant. Like, we're, we're teaching something that was planned six months in advance, and it's so applicable to the current time. Like, God just shows up. However, we want to be attuned to uh, what God is doing in the here and now. And sometimes God says, hold on a minute. Not so fast. Uh, and that's kind of what we're doing today. We had planned to do a three-week series entitled The Sacrificial Life, uh, and as I was, was jumping into the text, getting ready to kind of pivot where we were going, I just felt an incredible conviction and sense that the Lord was saying, hey, I, we need to spend more time here. There's a little bit more that we need to cover, and so that's what we're doing, and so we are in week four of our three-week series, The Sacrificial Life. And if you, this is your first time here, or you've missed a couple of Sundays, what we have done is we've walked through this call that the Lord has on our lives to live sacrificially. And so a month ago, we talked about what it means to live sacrificially. Like, what is a sacrificial life? Two weeks ago, we talked about our, uh, like, whys behind it, and, and really, like, the, the, the way we live sacrificially— Specific to, we, we use the example of giving. When you live sacrificially, you give sacrificially, and, and that, whether you realize it or not, kind of shows how you prioritize God. And as it turns out, God doesn't just want to be first in your life, or what, doesn't want to just be in your life, He wants to be first in your life. And then last week, we had, I, I thought, an incredible conversation talking about the chains that we've allowed the world to wrap around us that sometimes prevent us from living sacrificially. So the things that the world has, has put on us that we've allowed to be a part of our lives that, that kind of shift and deter us from 
fully submitting ourselves to Jesus or living sacrificially or putting Jesus first in our lives. So that, that's, that's really where we were going to end. This week, however, I think before we can kind of close this chapter in the teaching, we need to talk about the, the what next or the what happens after this. It's an important conversation. I, um, when I, prior to ministry, I was, uh, my last kind of gig, I was selling or leasing commercial real estate in Dallas. And, and one of the, the things that I always did when I was getting a new customer to sign up is I wanted them to make sure they read and understood the terms and conditions of the agreement that they were stepping into. No one ever reads them. Like I, and to this day, I, I, yes, except, except, except. But, but I found that when I was selling someone a product that, that had specific terms, that when they didn't read them, they would get six months into their lease, a year into their lease, whatever it was, and they would be like, I didn't sign up for this. Why didn't anyone tell me? And then we said, well, it's, it's right here in black and white. I think sometimes we step into this call that Jesus has for our lives, and we get into it, and we're like, I really wish someone would have told me this is how it was going to be. Not that it would have, not that it's going to change what we do, but it's important information to have. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the what can we expect when we live sacrificially. And if we're going to, if we're going to look for examples, probably the best place to look is scripture. And if we're going to look in scripture, there is no better example of a sacrificial life than that of Jesus Christ. And he is the culmination, the very definition of what it means to live sacrificially. Paul wrote in Philippians, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so, so humbled and obedient. Those are very sacrificial type of words. And so Jesus defined for us what it looks like to live sacrificially. He laid it out. And not only did he lay it out in his death on the cross, time and time and time again, he shows us in his life, hey, this is how you are supposed to live. This is what I am calling you to do. If you have any question on what it is going to take to follow me, then just watch how I live. We're going to look at a story today that is, um, it's, it's a famous story, in one that's recorded in all four Gospels, and it's, it's one this time of year that we typically start kind of breaking down. We move into kind of the Easter season. This, this story inevitably comes up, and so we're going to talk about the Last Supper. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four record this event. And what I love reading God's Word is that they all have kind of different perspectives and views. And so what I want to do today is, is working through all four of them the best I can and the, the amount of time we have, I want, to, I want to paint a picture for what Jesus was going through during this Last Supper. And I think what you're going to see, at least what I saw, is, is these examples of what one may expect when they live sacrificially. So, we're going to start... In the Gospel of John, John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before Passover. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus' earthly ministry was coming to a close, uh, at least the way it had been lived for the last three 33 years, however many years it was, and so things were beginning to shift. And what I love about this text is it says that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. He knew exactly what was in front of him. 
And if we, if we take this verse out of context, it doesn't sound all that bad. Jesus knew that his time on this world was coming to an end, and he was going to go to the Father, which sounds okay. However, we know that the path to the Father, the moments after this supper, up until his death on the cross, they weren't going to be easy. He was going to be arrested, betrayed, beaten, tortured, and humiliated. And he knew what was ahead of him. He knew what was coming. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Luke twenty-two fifteen records kind of the first part of this narrative this way. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired, desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So, so Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows that he's going to suffer, but, but what does he do? He gathers the men that he had been pouring into for three years, three plus years, and he says, hey, let's, let's have one more meal together. See, the thing about a sacrificial life we begin to see here in the life of Christ is that it's a choice. It's a choice. It's something that, that you aren't going to accidentally fall into. Like, like if, in order to live sacrificially, in order for your life to be dedicated to this, like, you have to make the conscious decision. This will not happen by accident. This will not, like, oh, oh, I, I, whew, here I am. I had no idea how I got here living sacrificially. Like, the world's not going to let you do that. Everything about living sacrificially is going to be against the flow of the world and society. And so you, as followers of Jesus Christ, and that's super important, the conversation that we are having is after we step into a relationship with Jesus, after we have been saved by faith, through faith, then we have a decision to make. Do, do, we, do we sit back or do we move forward? Jesus says that you, you move forward. It's a choice that you have to make. And it's a choice that he is making here in the text. If there was ever anybody in the history of any time that had an excuse for a mental health day, it's Jesus right here in this moment. He knows what's ahead of him. He knows how bad things are going to get. And no one, not any of us, would have blamed him if he said, you know what, guys? Hey, I just can't do this tonight. I love you. I do, but I, I, need to, I need to take care of myself here. I need to prepare myself for what's about to happen. That's not what he does. He continues to pour into these men. He said, hey, one more time, I'm not done teaching you. I'm going to put you first above my own personal needs. And so he gathers his disciples for the Passover meal. He makes the choice. One of the things that I don't want to have happen, once we make the choice of living sacrificially because it's so countercultural, is for us to get into it. And I said this at the beginning of the sermon and, and then be like, no one told me it was going to be like this. I can't do it. Or you, you, you throw down the, the chains that we threw down last week that represent the, the things that prevent us from living sacrificially, the things that we, we laid at the feet of Jesus. You get into this life, and you realize how difficult this choice may be or is, and you're like, hey, my life was actually easier with the chains. I'm going to take them back, and I'm going to go continue on my way. 
the reality of, of living sacrificially on this side of eternity is that it isn't going to be easy. I, it's not. And I probably should have started the sermon series with this conversation, uh, but because it's, it's so important for us to understand this thing that God is calling us to is not an easy thing. Now, now good and easy, I don't think are the same things here. Like, blessed and easy are not the same things here, but, but, but you need to understand the thing that God is calling us to, the thing that Jesus modeled for us, is not an easy thing. There will be resistance. When we make the choice to live sacrificially, you can expect almost immediately to begin to feel something pushing against you. Watch what happens here in the text. John thirteen two. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. The first person that John mentions when he goes into this narrative about the supper is the very person that's going to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You flip over to the Gospel of Matthew, again, you're, you're piecing all this together. When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And they were eating, and while they were eating, rather, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Verse 25, Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. So, in addition to making the choice to, to go against everything the world says is right, what else can you expect when you live sacrificially? Well, if, if we look at Jesus' Jesus's life and how it was modeled, like he, he, he's having supper with the very person who betrayed him or who will betray him. Now, there, there's like half a dozen sermons about that and the beauty, the love that Jesus Christ has. But, but just, just for a second, logistically, can you, can you imagine the tension? Can you imagine? I mean, he, Jesus was fully God and fully man, so the hurt had to have been there. He, he's looking at a guy that he had poured into, that he, they had lived life together for years, and they're sitting across the table, they're dipping their bread into the same bowl, and Jesus knows going to betray him. He knows that everything that's ahead of him, the chain of events that's going to happen, is going to start with this very person. Church, the reality of living sacrificially and loving selflessly, the thing that we, we, we don't talk about, we just kind of sweep it under the rug, is that you open yourself up to hurt. Like, to live sacrificially and love selflessly as Jesus did, you have to be willing to put your heart out there and love people who, by our definition, probably don't deserve that love. And when you do that, you set yourself up for the potential of being hurt. One of the most difficult parts of ministry for me, if I'm being vulnerable, is this. 
And not that I modeled this perfectly. My goodness, I stumble and fall. But when you're in ministry and you're pastoring, like, like part of my job is, is, to, is to put my heart out there with people. Like, like we, we as pastors, like we cry with people, we, we laugh with people, we go through really good times and really bad times. And the only way that I know how to do that is, is by just kind of putting my heart out there with them. But, but what happens inevitably, not all the time, is people hurt you. They take advantage of that vulnerability. They, 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 they take the heart that you have laid out there with them they step on it and so the decision that that, that we have to make as ministers is do we do we build a wall not allowing our hearts to be exposed or or do we just trust that, that whenever it's broken jesus heals it because the reality of living sacrificially is and loving selflessly is that you open yourself up to hurt. the text continues Luke twenty two twenty four. This is fascinating. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. So again, let's paint this picture. Jesus is gathering his disciples together. They're having the one last meal. He knows exactly what's ahead of him. He knows exactly what he is going to have to do. He gathers his guys together. They're eating, and he teaches them one last time about his body and his blood and how he is going to be the, the final sacrifice to atone the sins of the world. And the disciples who have been with him for years— begin to argue about which one of them was the greatest. Again, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want to infer too much about what Jesus may or may not have been feeling, but I can't help but to think he would have been just a little bit frustrated. These guys should have understood it. If anybody was going to get it, it should have been them, but they, they didn't. When you, when you choose to live sacrificially and love selflessly, you can expect the world to not understand. When you choose to live for Jesus, when you put Jesus first, which is the definition of sacrificial living, you can expect, or you should expect, parts of the world to not get it. Living sacrificially means that you, you love Jesus with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. It means you love your neighbor as yourself. You love the Lord, you love your neighbor, which means you open yourself up to hurt. And then as you're doing that, as you're being vulnerable and real, as you're laying yourself out there, you can expect for the world to be like, why in the world are you living this way? Our culture defines living life as, as protecting our own, putting yourself as number one. Jesus says the exact opposite. So, so in addition, in addition to, to making the choice, all right, so you're making the conscious choice, choice to live sacrificially, you expect at least some hurt along the way, you can expect others to not get it. What else might we expect? John 13 Verses 3 through 4. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Again, Jesus knows exactly what's ahead of him. He had just broken up an argument with his disciples about who was the greatest, 
He's gonna, he's gonna model for them what that looks like. And so he, he gets up from the table, he takes off his outer clothing, and he does this, verse five. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I wanna talk about the significance of this culturally. So washing of your feet would not have been that unusual. You're wearing sandals, you're walking down dirty rolls, and so it would have been customary after the meal, or actually probably before the meal, you, you wash your feet before, before you come into someone's house. It's the equivalent today of us taking off our shoes before we go into someone's house, right? So, so culturally, that is something that, is, that was absolutely practiced. What's unique about this is washing of the feet was never done by anybody except the person whose feet was dirty, other places in Scripture, we see that, that water was provided for the guests to wash their feet. But here, Jesus does the unthinkable. He does a task that even a Hebrew slave would have been above. Think about that for a second. One commentator writes, Customarily, a host provides guests with water for washing of their own feet. Foot washing was regarded as so lowly a task that it could not be required of a Hebrew slave. Yet here in the word of God, we see Jesus Christ, the very savior of this world, who was just about to go to Calvary for all of us, pauses and he washes his disciples' feet. When you choose to live sacrificially and love selflessly, you can expect to do things that others won't. So, so, so you're, you're putting yourself in a position where you're going to get hurt. You're constantly going to be at odds with the world who just doesn't understand how you are going to live. And, and now you're going to do things that nobody else is going to do. There's one more thing in this story I think is, is interesting. If you go to Mark 14, 27 through 31, you will all fall away, Jesus told him, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if I fall, even if all fall away, I will not. It's a very Peter statement. I love Peter. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all others will do the same. And all the others said the same, rather. One of Jesus' closest allies, part of Jesus' inner circle, the man whom Jesus just washed his feet, is, is, he's boldly proclaiming, I am with you, Lord. I will never leave you. Even if it means that I myself am killed, I've got your back. Well, how does the story go? Peter does exactly what Jesus told him he would do in the exact manner that Jesus told him he would do it. Gospel of Luke records this interaction, Peter's disowning denial of Christ, and it says that after Peter denies him the third time, Jesus and Peter make eye contact. He sees it. So the reality of living sacrificially and loving selflessly is you can expect some to leave you. Even people that have really good intentions— because when a world doesn't understand what you're doing, when, when you become really vulnerable and you get hurt, 
When people just don't get it, like you're gonna, you're gonna find yourself, at least Jesus did, he found himself in a situation where those who, who, who said they wouldn't leave him left him. So what do we do with this? I'm tempted just to say, good luck, you're dismissed. I don't think that's appropriate, though. How do we, how do we handle this? If, if sacrificial living truly is this, and I'm not saying it has to be this, and I'm not saying it's only this, but I think, I think in Scripture you can make a case that it could be this. And so if these things are a possibility, if hurt and people not understanding and being alone, if that's a possibility, then why in the world would anybody choose to do it? Why? The easy answer, I think, is, well, the Bible tells me so. And that's good. The Word of God, 100%. But I think, I think you could take it even a step further. For, for me, the, the Word of God didn't become the inerrant Word of God until I first had an interaction with Jesus. Before the interaction with Jesus, it, this, just, this is just for the world a book. But once you encounter him and he becomes your Lord and Savior, once the Holy Spirit resides inside of you, then, 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 then something changes with this, right? You begin to see it come alive. And what happens when, when you do that, and Jesus, you have this personal encounter with him, there's a change from the inside out. And, and so all of a sudden, my faith in Jesus Christ isn't just a belief system— it's who I am. It's who I become. When the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, when they, when they consume you, your very innermost being, something changes from the inside out, you are changed, you become something different than you were before. Faith in Jesus isn't just something that we believe. It's not. Not that believing isn't important, but that is the first step. It's step one. Our faith in him changes us. And so why do we live sacrificially? Why do we do it? Why do we step into this? Well, it's because it's who we are. It's who Jesus has made us to be. It's who he calls me to be. The foot washing story in John 13 ends this way. You call me teacher, 13, 13 through 15. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for it's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. How? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. If you live sacrificially, regardless of the risk, regardless of how difficult it may be, if you're willing to step into this thing that I am calling you to do, you will be blessed. It's not going to be easy. It might not be comfortable. But it's who you are called to be. Faith in Jesus Christ is 
so much more than a belief system for us. It's the embodiment of who we are. And then when we step into that, there's a promise that comes. And this is good. There's something that Jesus promises us if we, if we step into this. We are, um, we are moving into the Easter season. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. How many of you knew that? Impressive. Five years ago, Ash Wednesday for me was like a tradition, my tradition growing up, we didn't celebrate it. We didn't even really acknowledge it. It was just the day where my Catholic and Lutheran friends came to school and work with a smudge on their forehead. But as I begin to study it, its significance has greatly increased in my life. So, so the purpose of Lent is to prepare for the church to prepare itself for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, it, it's to go through a process of making sure that our heart is in the right place so that when we celebrate that Easter Sunday, we are good to go. Forty days before Easter, excluding Sunday, is Lent. Do you know what the word Lent means? It's not something you find in your belly button in this context. You know what it means? So, so if you look at the etymology for this particular word, and you go back to uh, kind of Middle English and the old High German where this, they believe this word came from, Lenten or Lente, it, it means springtime. Follow me here. Springtime. Which is appropriate because we're going to a time of spring, but, but, but what comes with spring? Why in the world do we call this season Lent? What comes with spring? New life rebirth. Every, he just said snow. Amen to that. Yeah. Uh, but, but everything that was once dead and decayed is re, rebirthed. It regrows. We, we know a thing or two about winter. Amen? It's been miserable. And the thing about winter that I have come to know uh, as I've gotten older is that I always enjoy the first day of winter much more than the last day of winter. Because the first day of winter, I'm excited about the change, I'm, I'm ready for some snow, and I know the holiday season comes on, and, and I'm just, I'm motivated. But by the time winter ends, by the time spring is around the corner, and in Sheridan, Wyoming, we don't know when that could be. It could be August 1st, right? Like, like I, am, I am so ready and exhausted. I am ready for the change of the season. The first day of winter is always, always the best for me. At least it's better than the last. When, when, you, when, you step into, when you step into this sacrificial life and you take it seriously, and again, this isn't a sacrificial moment because we can do that. This isn't a sacrificial day because we can do that. This isn't even a sacrificial week because we could probably make that happen. This is a sacrificial life when everything you are and all that you do is, is through the lens of putting Jesus Christ first in your life. When you begin to live through that, like, like I, we get excited at first. Like, yes, I can do this. I am in. Kind of like Peter, I'm following you, Lord. No question. But as the season wears on and as the world continues to push against us and as the resistance hits us over and over and over again, we get to a place where it's exhausting. We get beaten down. We get tired of being hurt. We get tired of people not understanding. We get tired of people leaving us and we look around like, like is it worth it? Jesus, 
Amen. Jesus, Jesus looked at his disciples after he had gone through all of these teachings, after he had washed his feet and he had prayed specifically over them, and he looks at him, he says, gentlemen, you need to understand that in this world you will have trouble. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. The reality on life, of life on this side of eternity is that winter sometimes drags on. In this world, you will have trouble. Winter gets long and cold, and things deteriorate, and they break down, and we get exhausted. In this world, you will have trouble. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He says, yeah, winter's tough, but springtime's coming. It might not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But it's coming. So the promise that Jesus gives us is that if you, if you can live sacrificially for me today, then tomorrow, that life of sacrificial living becomes one of glorified living. It becomes one of being exalted, sin-free, in the presence of God. That's the promise. That spring is coming, rebirth is coming, something new is coming. You just have to hang on for one more day, one more hour, whatever it looks like, but you can't quit. Because he's overcome the world. To do this, I think, for me, living sacrificially then means I have to redefine the way I see things. It means I need to redefine how I, how I live my life or maybe even how I interpret what life is. Living sacrificially requires me to redefine the definition of the good life. Living sacrificially means that I'm going to be blessed. Jesus promises it. If you do these things, you'll be blessed, but, but perhaps not in the way the world defines it. Living sacrificially means that my life is going to be full, but maybe not in the way the world defines it. Living sacrificially means that I, I'm going to be rich, but maybe not in the way the world defines it. God's blessed and my blessed might be different. God's fullness and my fullness might be different. And that's tough. It is, I mean, there's nothing about this that is easy. But easy this is, does not always equal good. Easy doesn't always equal best. Easy doesn't always equal what we were made Church, if you are willing to live sacrificially, love selflessly, if you're willing to redefine the good life, not based on what the world says, but based on what is documented over and over in the Word of God, then the promise is, and I've said this week in and week out, like your destiny here on this side of eternity is realized. The thing that God has made you to be 
becomes a reality. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for just the opportunity that we had to gather, to fellowship, to worship. God, give us the, the confidence and the strength through the power of your Holy Spirit to, to, to continue to step forward into this life that you were calling us to, even though it might be difficult, even though it might be challenging. Help us seek you every step along the way. Because I, we, we can't do this on our own, Lord. There's nothing by our own power that we can do. And so, so help us not to quit, but to simply continue to cry out for you, to reach out for you, to follow you through whatever door it is that you open. Help us trust you every step along the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going we're gonna to sing one more song, and, and as a response, uh, we're going to go into a time of communion as we remember exactly who Jesus is and what it was that he did for us. And so, here's how we do communion at Ignite Wesleyan Church. It is open communion, which means if you profess Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, if you have been saved by grace through faith, that you are welcome to come up to the table. And so you'll take the elements, there'll be the cup and the wafer, you can take them there, you can take them back to your seat, but I want you to do it as you feel led in response to what it is that God is doing in your life. If you haven't yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I think today would be a great day to do that. I'll be over here. I would love to pray with you, walk you through that. Um, whatever you do, don't leave here without, without reconciling, without encountering Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing one more time.